0: Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink podcast, where we navigate our political and cultural divides with a chaser of civility. We invite you to grab your favorite beverage and join us as we explore our differences and build bridges across our divisions. So welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast. Today we have... Kai, waiting with us, and Kai, you and I have been in conversation on and off for like a year now, but we haven't sat down and had this conversation on stoicism and maybe how stoicism can heal some of the divisions that we are seeing right now in the world. You're you're coming from a different place in America, so I want to have that conversation too. But be, be, before we do, obviously I'm you're in. A different country, it's the evening, are you drinking
1: anything tonight? So yeah, I actually went out and thought I had to get out very unusual because I normally only drink water (laughs) whilst on podcasts. But I was like, this podcast deserves more because without you guys, I would never have met Jonathan Church. You are responsible indirectly for us working together. So I thought I've got to go the extra mile, today (laughs) I'm drinking a Red Bull sugar-free. Just because it's such an unusual drink to have on a podcast, so if I get crazy, I blame you, Jen. I blame you. But I, I feel like I had to do it. Like you guys are—you you, you know—you have a special role in our lives, Jennifer and I, and you might not know that. So yeah, Red Bull sugar free. Okay, okay. What are you drinking? Well,
0: it's it's morning for me, Kai. So I've got coffee, but I have to tell you, like with Red Bull, it's not my favorite. But to the extent that I've had Red Bull before, it's been with vodka, <laughs> <laughs> which is a really like crazy mix. Anyways, that's uh, that's not what's happening this morning. But that, you know, you just uh, let's start where, where you just introduce your drink, because I didn't know that. I mean, you and I had been in touch after the podcast with Jonathan Church uh, and it kind of dropped off and, you know, whatever life is crazy like it always is. But I didn't know that that was where you were like, okay, this is, this is something that we need to go on. And now you guys are actually doing stuff together. So do you want to just start there with what that looks like?
1: So, yeah, I was looking for like somebody who's applying stoicism to unusual things, because one of the things that I'm known for within the state community and outside of it is applying stoicism to things like climate breakdown Mm. for me, if a philosophy is useful. It must be useful in every single occasion within, you know wherever, within some obviously some limitations of what is humanly possible to me, if a philosophy or religion is not useful to you when you're in prison and you've been in prison wrongfully, let's say you're a political prisoner, then it's not useful at all. If it's not useful when we are facing an existential crisis of some description as a human you know like a human race like we have to grapple with climate breakdown. it's not useful to me. And if it doesn't highlight maybe an alternative way to have a very complicated discussion through things like class, which is dropped off the radar at the moment, uh, race, religion, the kind of contentious issues, then it's no use at all. It's just Mm -hmm. an academic tool. So when I heard you guys speak, and this is probably a year ago now, referring to the podcast episode, maybe a bit more, I was like, I need to get hold of this guy. Uh, partly because I thought I could improve his understanding of stoicism. So there was like, I also felt like, you know, he could help me understand things like white fragility, mm-hmm. which is not my sh- strong point in terms of understanding D'Angelo's work, which I know you guys talked about on that episode with David. And so I thought he could help me and I can help him. So that that was one thing. But also because he wasn't frightened to put his foot near the mine, right? Because it is a minefield but if we shy away from the conversations that this podcast has, then what hope do we have to establish a better alternative? And that's what you asked. You asked a really good question. You said, you may not remember. Um, what do you do when you have this problem? Do we have to then create a common enemy? In order to have peace within the US, do we need to say, like, mm-hmm. let's for example, for argument now, right now, that uh, Putin is our common united enemy, and we can see through our differences because we're united in our dislike for someone. And you said there must be a better way. So I feel like this podcast is like a year in the, make, uh, in a, in the making, and I'm going to make a case for why stoicism uh, could offer us in some ways an alternative that I think might be better in most cases, because I don't think any philosophy can be 100% the most, the right tool in every single case, because i becomes become very blunt. I think you need to use it uh, in very unique way, or very uh, specific ways and for specific purposes. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because mm-hmm. it's literally been a year, and I think it's a year and three months, something like that. So
0: maybe that's um, maybe that's the reason why there was that time there too, because there was that, I, and, and so much has happened. Like you just mentioned, Putin, and we're actually like literally facing a war that we weren't facing a year ago. So yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna be silent. I'm gonna jump in with questions, but I I, I just want. Just go, Kai, just go. Tell me, tell, tell us what we need to
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jen. That's very generous of you. But I, 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 well, again, I'd like to say thank you very much for allowing this conversation to take place. I think that when we, uh, as human beings, we get frightened, we shy away, when actually we'd be less frightened if we drew together. I do feel that this podcast offers a space for that. And there are not many spaces to have this conversation. So I'd like to thank you and, and congratulate you for continually working on such a difficult t- topic. I'm very lucky that I can sort of dip in and dip out, and you're, so you're like you're facing the brunt of this controversial discussion, right? And you'd face every week. So that that shows to me uh, a very sort of strong understanding of what humanity needs, and I could tell that by the questions. In terms of why I think I have to explain what stoicism is, right? Yeah, yeah. Before I make my case, so for those that you who, those who may not know stoicism is an ancient philosophy and I say ancient because it's about two thousand something years old it is uh, most people know uh, Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and it is a Greek uh, sorry, ancient Greek and ancient Roman philosophy originally, although it has continued to this day it has become more popular. The point of uh, stoicism isn't the British stiff upper lip, and I can say that as a Brit, right? So it's not the idea that you have no emotions. It's that you, you evaluate your emotions and say things like, okay, I'm feeling sad, but why am I feeling sad? Is it appropriate for me to feel sad right now? Maybe I've misunderstood. Maybe my friend wasn't trying to be horrible to me. Maybe they're just having a bad day and I just took it badly. So it's not a case of one does not feel anything, but rather one examines an emotion and says, how useful is it? In this situation to feel this way so people often have there's a book called you probably have talked about it, the case for rage and the stokes would say there is no case for rage because rage by definition, is being out of your mind it's like i'm so angry i was out of my mind and if you're out of your mind you're not thinking rationally
0: right
1: so the idea that there's a case for rage the Stokes would say no and they say yes but in order to feel a sense of justice that anger drove me so the strikes would say you had to feel angry to feel a sense of justice you couldn't just feel a sense of justice without feeling angry. So you're not being just for the right reason. You're being just because you're angry and it hurts you, not because you're seeing a situation that's unjust that you think needs to be rectified. So if you need anger to be just, then you're not being just at all in the Stoic perspective. So Stoics are not saying you should have no emotions at all. They're saying examine them. And why would Stoics be so adamant about the need to examine one's feelings and one's emotions and distinguish between reality and how you feel about it? Because they say things like, the only thing that matters in life is the ability to cultivate a a good moral character, a character that is incapable of making a moral mistake. So you could make a mistake, but not a moral one. So they'll say, that's that's an excellent human being. And so they had a word called arete. They would use it for things like a knife. An excellent knife is a knife that cuts well. And an excellent human being is a human being that is incapable of being unjust, That is incapable of being cowardly that is incapable of being greedy as an example of a lack of self control but not necessarily not necessarily and incapable of being ignorant and they'll say so it's not that one should not have emotions jen but rather that one should really think about those emotions in the context of that kind of character is your sadness getting in the way of you making a wise decision is your anger or your frustration getting in the way of building a good strong relationship with me, for example, now you just made me really angry, Kyle. But then we're not then building a you know a, a relationship built of respect, love, and consideration. Mm-hmm. We're acting out of our hurt and our anger. To so to recognize that we have hurt is the first step. Go, yes, you did hurt me, but that won't prevent me from doing the right thing because regardless of how I feel about you, Jen, I'm still going to treat you justly as a stoic. Does this sort of best the concept?
0: Yeah. No. I, okay. So. There's a lot going on in my mind right now. I don't want to take you off course from explaining this further. Let me tell you something that I've been looking at myself right now and where I'm feeling what you're saying. So have you ever heard of the victim triangle?
1: No.
0: Okay. Then I'm not going to take us there. But it is. It's well, I'll just
1: take us there. I'd like to know. I wouldn't like to remain ignorant of the matter.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not an expert on it. But basically, we enter into this world um, and we have this victim narrative that all of us do. No matter, you know, we come in from the wealthiest to the poorest to whatever. And there's three sides to this triangle. There is the um, persecutor, the rescuer, and then the victim. But we're all one and the same. We're all like cycling around. Sometimes we're like the persecutor. Sometimes we're the rescuer. Sometimes we're the victim. And... What I've been studying around this, and again, I don't want to take this too much off of stoicism, but there's a way to get out of that triangle and to be more objective about how what we're feeling. And that's what I've been doing myself a lot lately is like, you, you just mentioned something, I'm, I'm angry, I'm whatever, and just sitting with that emotion and wondering why that emotion is even there. And I'll tell you what, Kai, that's not comfortable for me. Like I wanna go, for me, when I feel something uncomfortable, I go work out. I have a drink. You know, I go out with friends. I do whatever, I read a book. I mean, not always unhealthy things like going and working out. but, But I don't sit with that emotion. Very often. And so this is, again, we won't get into the victim tri- triangle. We'll, you and I will talk about that offline, or I'll put that in our podcast notes for people get to look at. Um, but I, I'm feeling like we're in the same wheel that you're mentioning with stoicism, where we don't take that moment to sit with it. And I think that's a human condition. I think that that's Absolutely. A, I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that doesn't matter if we're in America, if we're in the UK, whatever. Sitting with our emotions is not—we don't do that often.
1: <laughs> well, that's why I think stars is still useful two thousand years later because it asks you to examine your impressions, to so examine your thoughts. Mm-mm. The only things that are in your control from a star perspective are your thoughts, attitudes, and actions, and it's right now. The past doesn't exist because you can't, in a sense, that you can learn from it, but you can't change it, you can't interact with it in any meaningful way. There were changes of that cause, and the future doesn't exist yet. So all you have is the immediate situation. That's it. What is right now? What is appropriate for me to do right now? So people, that like, what does that mean? Well, as a parent, you know your kid starts off as a good day. They then slap their sister on the back because they want the sweet that she's or you take candy. <laughs> so like, now you have to change your parenting. You were praising your kid. He was having a good day and now he smacked his his sister on the back. Now you have to be stern. You have to pretend to be angry with him, right? Because you might think it was quite funny the way that he did it. But you're like, no, you can't do that. You cannot do that. That's completely wrong. Even though you knew you did it as a kid, even though you can see it's really funny, you didn't really mean it out. But you have to act a certain way because that's appropriate right now because you're the parent. Mm-hmm. So it's like, right now, what's appropriate? So again, it's looking at your feelings and going, right, I actually think this is quite funny, but that's not the good response here. <laughs> it's not useful for my daughter to think it's funny because it's not funny for her, even though the whole thing's you know, silly. Right, she, right, right. she wasn't he wasn't being, you know, just being a little bit naughty. And as a parent, you have to take the decision, right? You have to be like, I'm so angry with you right now. Just because that's, if, they, if you have that, they go, oh, you know, mum's upset or dad's upset, I better be behave, right? So it's a case of like, there are ways that we have to think about things. Um, and then, like, to take a very serious um, situation, like, my grandmother was dying, and the question, why did she die, is not helpful because the answer is because she was ill. That's why she died. She was ill, and her body could not, you know, it, it succumb to her, you know, condition. A more interesting question for a stoic is like, she died. What do I feel about it? Why do I feel like that? What am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Instead of going through the cycle of, but I feel like, I feel betrayed or I'm upset. I wish the doctor could have done, should have done, would have done. Okay, maybe they should have done. That. Are you going to be a doctor to rectify that? No. Okay, so, oh, yes, depending on your answer. So, stoicism is like, what is going on in your mind and how can you just distinguish that? And it is a case of sitting uncomfortably mm-hmm. with your emotion. And there's nothing wrong with going to the gym. There's nothing wrong with parking it because also the stoics would say, sometimes you have to park that emotion and as long as you come back to it. Go so right now! I'm so annoyed that I can't even process it. What's the best thing for me to do? Go and get go to the gym. You go to the gym. You go right. Well, why did that really affect me? Why did I feel offended? Why did I feel whatever you felt? So starting to saying always like, you know check in with yourself. Check you know check in with others as well because you're if you're on the journey together, you might I might say to you, Jen, you said to me that you're interested in stories, but yeah, do you realise what you just did in in that cafe the other day where you didn't get you know the two sugars, only gave you one. Oh yeah i was really annoyed well why were you i don't know i felt like i wasn't seen well were you not seen because it was a big queue and or you're not seen because of the way you want to be seen or and why do you feel the need to be seen by the guy who's offering you coffee like there's this whole sort of feedback loop throughout and i think that this is helpful when it comes to things like people say like microaggressions or free speech issues because Mm -hmm. so would say if you need someone else to be removed from the room to make yourself feel comfortable you're not going to have a very flourishing life because you've basically, t- you basically said, no, nope, I have no agency. I can do nothing. This person's just doing it to me. I need Jen to remove this gentleman from the room. As a Stoic, you'd say you can't flourish then because you're requiring Jen, who's not in your control to do something on your behalf in order for you to feel what you think is happiness. Rather than saying, I don't like this individual, removing him from the room isn't going to make the idea go away. I'm going to have to sit uncomfortably really, for the next 25 minutes and think of an appropriate question to ask him to show where his reasoning has, has fallen down, broken down. Or to show that maybe maybe he's right, but there's also an alternative perspective, and that may also be equally right for those individuals, right? Right. And so it is about being uh, being uncomfortable and then learning how to make the uncomfortable comfortable. So Because in Sturgeon, there's nothing, there's no way that you can rescue me. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do to really rescue me. All you're doing is removing somebody. But you could do that, and I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not happy because the man's now outside in the hallway, and he's uh, shouting away.
0: Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, and I noticed that too. Like, I'll go and do whatever it is, like I just said, go to the gym, have a drink, whatever, and the motion's still sitting there. It's waiting. It's waiting for me to come back, and I'm like, oh, I thought, <laughs> I, thought I banished you. Um, so here's a question for you. So again, I know we're in two different countries. America right now is very, I I feel like the UK is as well, but maybe less so. America's really divided over a lot of um, really fundamentally, I think, emotional issues on identity, right? Who we are. And a lot of these things, though, are, I feel someone could argue differently. I feel superficial how I look, you know, the the number, of me- the, the amount of melanin in my skin. Um, although, though, we like what, like the UK, we've got a history that cannot also be erased. Uh, uh, you know, Correct. if you had more melanin, you had a different experience historically, but mm. we're living in today and right. we're trying to make a better future despite what happened in the past. Where does stoicism enter into that conversation, and how can we use that to have a better conversation for a better future, mm-hmm. despite our past?
1: Fantastic question. <laughs> well, firstly, I'd like to highlight the irony of people going, my lived experience, right? You, I, I don't think you can have an experience that isn't lived. You're <laughs> right. dead when you have it. <laughs> So, so straight to say, what do you mean by that? Because what experience can you have that isn't there? Right. Were you dead? Were you in the thriller? Like, were you doing this kind of movement while you were doing it? What do you mean by that?
0: Now I've got that song in my head. Thank you very much for a thriller in my head. Or were
1: you (laughs) in the multiverse? (laughs) You know, because that's Dr. Strange that's just come out. But basically, you can't have anything but a lived experience. Right. And then people will say things like, because I have a lived experience, it's more valid because you can't possibly understand my lived experience. If I can't possibly understand you, then why explain it to me? why explain something? If I cannot, as a man, hope on in any way, shape or form, understand the experience of a woman, then why would women explain it to me? Because I can't hope to understand it. So the Stokes would say, hang on a minute, there are aspects that you may find almost impossible to understand. But fundamentally, whilst Jenny's a woman and you're a man guy, you have a human experience and you can connect on a human level. And you can you can say, Okay, I don't know what it's like to breastfeed my children, for example, but I can imagine that there are days when you're very tired and if I just say to your husband, Well, you know, Jen, I think the kids need bre- you know, the kid needs breastfeeding, that's not very helpful because I'm giving you the only job that I know that I can't do. <laughs> right? So I can be I can be aware and you can make me aware. So the strikes will say through having conversations with Jen, you can understand her experience right? Because if you can't do it, then why have a conversation? If I can't speak, I don't know, for example, if I can't speak Latvian, I wouldn't have a conversation with a Latvian. It would make no sense. Mm. So the first thing is that, to be careful with one's language. What do we mean by lived experience? And why do we suggest that one experience is more valid than the other? And really what's valid is the ability to communicate about that experience and say, okay, can you understand from a woman's point of view, like, you know, if you just tell me to breastfeed, I don't feel that you're actually supporting me very much. If you tell me like, okay, you breastfeed and I'll go and do X, Y, and Z, then you feel supported because you're doing the only job that you can do. And I'm doing a job that you can't do at the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's just the, the acknowledgement that we are different. So like I have an issue that we're different and we acknowledge that fact, but we use, you know, we use a sense of humanity of compassion and kindness and you know, the virtues of as I said for earlier, like justice to think, how can I act in an appropriate way that shows Jen, if you are the mother of my child, that I do value her as the mother of my child, but she's not only the mother of my child. That's just one particular identity that she has at any one time. And that's the other thing that strikes with highlight that none of us have only one identity. So I am a son, but I'm not, a son. I'm not acting as a son in my capacity right now, unless I start talking about my mother. In which case, I now, having now mentioned that, are acting in the capacity as a son. So the States would say we have multiple identities and they're very immediate. Like right now, what is your primary you know, thing that you're looking at? Yes, I'm a human being. My primary role is I'm human. OK, what's your next role? Well, at the moment, I'm in teacher mode. So my professionalism, it has to come through because we're not having a drink in a pub where we might be speaking in a different way. I might be using more sort of. Naughty words, let's say, and I might be using a more slang in general. Okay, so I'm speaking to an English-speaking audience on a podcast. Okay, that's my role. When I go, you know, when I when I go and if you do have children, if I go and see them and I'm in the park, I shouldn't be talking to them like this. I should be running around making silly, if they're young, making silly faces and doing things. Why? Because my role at that point is a person who's looking after a friend's child. As those would say, like, we have multiple identities. Multiple ones, really, because you, you must, by definition, identify as a daughter to somebody. You might identify as a sister to somebody else. They're not the same role. They have similar connections, but you don't act the same way. You don't treat your mum like you treat your sister. You may, have a, you may be a wife or a girlfriend Did you have a different role. You may be a teacher. You may be learning a language and then you're not acting in teacher mode. You're very much in student mode because you're learning, let's say you're learning French. So you're not going to be like, well, I'm going to take the teacher role. Like, do you speak French? No, I think you should be a student, right? <laughs> leave your teacher role to the international relations, because I know that you studied that, and politics, and leave your French to a different teacher right? yeah. So the students would say, first of all, is they, there's why do we emphasize beyond our role as a human being, because we always occupy that role, why is color or ethnicity fundamentally important in every single situation? It might be, like, there might be times where... You know, when I lived, in, I lived in Bogota, being white wasn't very helpful. So I made myself look like a backpacker, so I would get robbed less in the street. Like it was less likely I'd have a problem if I looked like a backpacker, right? Because there is a connection, even Latin America, between being white and having money. So if I look, when I went to work in a suit, I also attracted certain crowds that maybe I didn't appreciate at the time. You know, and maybe most people wouldn't <laughs> if they're trying to get to work on time. So you have to think, okay, so in that scenario, that may be important. If I'm in a, you know, if there's a situation where I could, you know, because I'm in a situation where the dominant culture is, is white isn't in every single culture or subculture, then I could, you know, think, okay, I am white. How can I help people who don't have that privilege in that situation? But if I walk into a mosque, for example, even if I'm in the same city, I'm no longer in what you would call a white dominant culture so what does that mean mm-hmm. and so it, it, they'll say well in that context could it be important yes it is important is it important right now no so the sex would say that it can't be fundamental or fundamental or important in every single context and every single scenario mm-hmm. that's why your primary role is a human because that's what the, the role you will always occupy. Uh, all the time regardless of who you're with. Like I said, if I'm not with my mother and I don't mention it, I don't act in the role of as a son. It doesn't mean I'm not a son, it just means that that I don't act through that identity in that moment. Like you're kind of, as I'm
0: hearing you talk, you're blowing my mind in some ways. I'm not even sure how to verbalize it because this is kind of new to me. Well, let me put it this way. It's not new to me because everything you're saying, I'm feeling, but I've never used learned how to express it, right? So I was just thinking about something the other day where I was in a certain conversation where I felt great confidence. You know, I was in, like you said, I was more in a teaching position. I was looked at as an international relations expert. And so I rose to that occasion. And then I was in another role, like literally within the same day where I was the student and someone told me, I didn't act with confidence and I found that kind of jarring because how I identify and see myself is usually on the, you know, the, the, the spectrum that I want to see, like the, 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 the good <laughs> spectrum, right. The, the confident, the teacher, although I also see myself as the student and whatnot, obviously like <laughs> the way I want to present myself in most instances is one with confidence and, you know, all the things that we name as good. And I really had to sit with that comment. Because within one day, I felt incredibly confident, incredibly connected with people in my field. And then within an hour later, I felt incredibly disconnected. And I I didn't even recognize what this person was telling me, like lack of confidence. I was like, you don't know, like my response in my head, (laughs) which I didn't say, was you don't know me. Like how, you don't know who I am. You don't know the Jennifer. And so there's all these, so what I'm hearing from you, there's like, there's this multiverse. I hate using that word now because we know that um, Facebook has taken that word. And and, uh, (laughs) and then the
1: metaverse, metaverse,
0: metaverse, right.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it sounds very similar.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad that's not exactly the same. To me, they were the same. But I mean, I'm hearing you speak and there are so many Jennifers. Correct. And so how do we become our best selves though? Because like, let's just go back to what I said. I mean, in one day I felt as confident as Jennifer could feel to as like belittled as Jennifer could feel where do I show up as my best self?
1: Well, it depends on your role. So as a student, your best self is a person who's willing to listen and learn. There's no reason why be, you should be as confident as a teacher in a student role. Because by definition, you can't be if you wouldn't be in the class. So it is a case of like, the strokes are very much like role ethics. So there are multiple Kaisers on some level because there is a a son, a a brother, right? Akai as a teacher, Akai as a student, I am learning a language, so I gave example. I also have, Kai, you know, I, I'm, I'm British, so when we have voting to do, you know, I have to do that role. Is my Britishness relevant in Australia? Well, not really. If I jump up and down and say, I should be able to vote, they're like, are you Australian? <coughs> I'm like, no. But why does that matter? Well, it matters in Australia, so your Britishness is relevant in the sense that you can't vote. Right. So, but you can't demand the vote because you get to vote in your country. So as a Brit, when I'm in the UK, I have a specific role, which when I'm in another country, as a British person, I have a different role. So because now I'm a visitor, right? So it's a case of like the best self is the self that goes, okay, I'm not upset about somebody saying I lack confidence because in my role as a student, it's perfectly natural to lack confidence. Mm. And I'm not, you know, you know, you're more than even the sum of all your parts, right? Because although... You know, we sense of, there's a role here, there's a role there. Even there's a, you know, there's a there's a gen tomorrow mm. and there's a Jen in 10 years' time. Which Jen are we talking about? And, you know, because we do things today for gen of today, but we also have to do things for Jen who is going to have a pension. Right? So there's some things you all do thinking about gen in 20 years' time, even if you're not sure that that Jen even is still alive. We don't know that. The same is true for everybody. So I think this is really helpful because then we don't get – tied up by one role. We don't see one comment destroy our sense of self because it's like, well, that's my sense of self as a student. If I lack confidence, I'll just have to develop it. How am I gonna develop it? By learning, by becoming, uh, acquiring the skills and doing exactly the exact same process that I did as an international relations student. Because, you know, 20, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you lack the confidence and it's proved the doing in that particular field that you became an expert and you rose. And then you say, back in confidence in 2022 but in 2025 i won't be Uh and you just let it it just brushes off you at that point because then you say they're just talking to about me jen in in my student role yeah Uh, so they didn't know you because they knew you in that moment they just didn't know the other jen that does other things right
0: yeah that's um it's kind of groundbreaking and novel in its simplicity kai i mean i mean and again we're not having these conversations we're so consumed with this identity and so i want to get back to that i want to get back to how can stoicism how can we use that in our world in our lives today i mean i think we've touched on that on our individual experiences but as a more general application um a government a community a bigger application how can we use that to change the narrative that we're having now that puts people only as these particular identities and locks them there in place and doesn't see them i mean this is what you were just saying i mean it locks them into one identity when there's so much more How can we have that conversation where we as a community, as a country, as a state, recognize the temporality, if that's, you know, uh, of that particular identity that we're approaching at that one moment?
1: Context. Context Mm -hmm. used to be king. And now it's like, regardless of context, if we're using the white, um, whiteness kind of argument, regardless of context, white people... Um, they they are supporting uh, a corrupt system, regardless of what they're doing, regardless of what they're thinking, regardless of who they are in any other aspect of them. They are supporting a particular system because they are white. Stokes are like everything outside the virtues or the vices, which are the polar opposites. So I said like courage is a virtue, cowardice is not. They are always good because you're always going to prefer courage over being cowardly. Right. Everything else is context dependent like so also how we use language so people say to me all the time oh like you're half you're half british and half portuguese no i can't be half this and half that i'm british and portuguese i can't be half because i have two i have two roles depending on you know depending on which one calls me at that time so i'm not half and half oh. i can be half an ethnicity i can't be half a nationality it's impossible Right. Because that what makes you, you know, what makes you a certain nationality by definition, having the documentation to show that you are, doesn't necessarily uh-huh. have to be a passport, but you're recognized by a state as a, as a member of that state, as a citizen of that state. I'm not half. Mm. I'm both. I might be half this and half that in terms of half, you know, let's say mm. if if you're let's say I was half European, half Asian. Yes, because I have 50% of, of my parents that were the case, but. So language is very important to be more specific about what we actually mean. So if we talk about, if we use the words white privilege, what do we mean by white? Because in if you speak other languages, um, white doesn't mean the same in Spanish. doesn't have the same connotation exactly. Mm. It's, it's nuanced. And I always point out to people who do intersectionality, you do realize that by speaking English that you're restricted by the language that you use. That your whole understanding of race is restricted by the English language context. Mm, mm-hmm. And the minute you, by using English, you're using the dominant language. So there was a really good, <laughs> really funny when they had um, what was the film? Steven Spielberg just just did. Uh, do you remember uh, West Side Story? Uh-huh. So Steven Spielberg purposely did not put Spanish subtitles, uh, English subtitles, when there was Spanish language was spoken. I don't know if you remember that. No. So I I am a fluent Spanish speaker, and I didn't realise until. I was watching people and acting is unusually uncomfortable in the cinema. And I was like, wait a minute, there's no subtitles. Bearing in mind that West Side Story is to celebrate that, we're all the same. That that's the power of four. So Spielberg was asked, why do you not have the subtitles when, you know, English, uh, sorry, the Spanish is spoken, spoken. And he said, I didn't want to give English dominance over Spanish. Okay, but Spanish is a colonial language. Like the irony there, it's like Spanish is a colonial language, so you're telling me that one colonial language is more, you know, is more important or less important than the other? They're both colonial. You didn't use Quechua, and there was a lot, you know, basically. And he was saying, well, that would, people were saying on like some quote-unquote progressive um, publications that would encourage people to learn that learn Spanish. No, it wouldn't. By by excluding people in the cinema, so they don't understand one third of the film, that does everything but encourage people. So language is key to understand that that the way that we see, let's say, race or gender or religion is also tied into the language that we speak. So I'll give you an example, Jen. When you break a glass in, in the an English speaking world, havoc breaks loose. Oh my gosh, glass must be have been so expensive historically. It's like, oh, you broke a glass. You know being bear in mind a lot of people buy from ikea these days so how expensive is that if you break the same glass in a spanish-speaking context nobody asks anything like who or why or what happened like, oh, it broke, because the glass in spanish breaks itself so if you say in english the glass broke itself i was like who did it <laughs> blame is immediately provided and offered right and i'm sorry i broke the glass doesn't happen in spanish-speaking context when you're at a party in, in, in spanish it's like okay let's tie it up there's that's just a really sort of interesting sort of yeah I, I blow your mind there. you like this so I think yeah it's... i'm
0: just well i i speak chinese and i'm now i'm like translating the glass broke in my head to see if there's an actor in that um and wow that's Okay, yes, you blew my mind. So let me ask you this with that. And here's something, well, I've got, gosh, I've got so many questions for you right now. I loved how you said that we're not half and half. Let me just start there. Like I'm not, you know, it's like, it depends on what day it is and what, what I'm speaking. speak? Some days I'm gonna be speaking full on as a Portuguese or from my experience as Portuguese. And sometimes I'm gonna be using my experience as British. Um, because so much in America, Kai, and this might be, I don't, I mean, I think Britain, U, the UK, excuse me, is, is very multicultural. Um, but the US is, I mean, it is just baked in. Like, you are always something else. And we, we have become addicted, if you will, to identifying with race, to the exclusion of anything else. You know, not Jennifer, the international relations specialist, Jennifer, the Chinese speaker, Jennifer, the whatever. It's Jennifer, the white girl, right? And I think that that's true with everyone. And I'm wondering, is there a way? I mean, you just kind of explained it, but how do we actually, let me ask it this way. How do we institute a way forward? that sees ourselves as our whole selves. I mean, you just mentioned it's through language, but like, what could we do to let people know? I mean, is it through, do we have education classes on what it means to be a stoic and what it means to have language and how we are identifying, like what can we like actively do to say, by the way, when you talk like this, you are just playing into the same narrative.
1: Is there? Is there a- Exactly what we're doing to that. Having yep. conversations. But not but not in the sense of trying to find blame. It's not about finding blame. It's not to point the finger. Because when you say when you have the victim victim triangle, it's you're thinking, who can I point blame to in this moment? That it doesn't start there. You can only assume blame once you understand what you've done wrong, if you've done anything or what you could have done better. So instead of saying who must I blame, I'm a victim, then I must be oppressed. So the only person that can oppress you is you is to give people back their agency. Just because you happen to be a woman doesn't mean you have no agency. It doesn't automatically mean that you're a second class citizen relative to a man. I'll give you a good example. As a man, it's very hard to go up to a small child and play with them in the park in a public space. Mm, mm. As a woman, you could you could more easily do that. Mm. So I feel that like today I was in a really sunny park. It would be lovely to be able to te- you know, like you know, tease a kid a little bit and run around and go, eh, or do something like that. With their parents fully watching. As a man, yeah. it's much harder for me to, to get that rapport than a woman. A woman could could be silly, could stick her tongue out, for example, and go, you know, no no no, no, no and run around, and, and no parent would really mind. So as a man in that case, I'm not in the powerful position. Quite the opposite. I'm automatically seen as sinister. If I was, depending exactly what I was doing, mm-hmm. even if I have no, you know. I'm not trying to be inappropriate. I'm not trying to be like weird. I'm just trying to be childish, you know, childlike, yeah. funny. Yeah. So in that situation, I don't have a privileged position. I'm actually seen as something that someone who shouldn't be there. That maybe that's not comfortable. Yeah. So it's highlighting that when, when, and under what context, context and circumstance, might one of my identities cause me an issue? Then we can have an honest discussion about. Racial issues. So I'll I'll take the good example of really another red button topic. So people are having an argument about a a particular swimmer who's a trans woman in Penn State University. Mm. My issue is not in terms of that context is not whether that person identifies as a male, female or what their legal status is. My issue is that if that person is a woman and has taken naturally performance enhancing hormones, they cannot compete because having took it, taken those hormones accidentally by like nature or on purpose, they have an unfair advantage. It doesn't matter if they're a she, he, or they. The context is that's important is there is a seven-second advantage, and those seven seconds between the individual and then the next candidate is because that, that individual was exposed to testosterone through a pubertal period. And the can the other people in that swimming race were not. You see, we're actually we were going. Well, why should we be worried that Leah Thomas is swimming? Is because she's a, not a woman? No, it's because she, if you want to use the word, that pronoun, she's having, she's had a situation where she has, her body has been exposed to a hormone that would give her a better performance, and therefore, by definition, it is not fair. Okay, then you have, how can we make it fair? Can we give a handicap so she can still swim with other women? Because we do that in the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the Paralympics, some people have one arm, some people have two arms, some people have one leg, mm-hmm. and we have a, we have a, um, like a handicap. Like same think sort of golf and horses and all sorts. Like if the horses, they, they get uh, more weight on their saddle. So why can't we go, okay, what's, what's really at stake here? Because the only context that matters is those seven seconds. Doesn't matter what Leah's really wearing, particularly. Doesn't matter what her passport says, because her passport isn't relevant in that swimming race, in any level whatsoever, unless she happens to be swimming for America, and then the and then the fact that her passport is the US is the relevance there. But that's not the relevance in terms of the argument about whether she should be able to swim or not swim. So the, this is again context is key. Then we start to say, What is the issue, if any, with Leah Thomas? And then we start listening to each other, instead of going, yeah, one side going, Well, you know, Leah Thomas is, is like any other woman Well she's not and the other side going, well, you know, this is about you know, this is about women's rights. Okay, so what is it, what right is being undermined? It's not all of the rights. Mm-hmm. So they have another argument that I thought was really funny. Like, they say, you know, a trans woman should win Women of the Year. Okay, should a trans man win Woman of the Year? Because by definition, if a trans woman cannot win Woman of the Year because she was born male, then a trans man with a really long beard and no hair at all on his head should be able to, to win Woman of the Year. But because we're not actually debating the nuances and the language and looking at the context-specific problem, we're having identity politics argument. It's not solving it because the issue is not really about identity. Uh It's about the unfair advantage or how we should classify who should be woman of the year.
0: So what you are arguing for, and I love this, if if I hear you correctly, is nuance and complexity, we have not just context, uh, yeah. nuance and complexity, but here's the problem, Kai. We, I mean, we, we don't do nuance and complexity. We just don't. Right. I mean, everything is boiled down to 280 characters. It's a new soundbite. It's a, you know, it's a news flash. And when I struggle with these issues and I, To me, it all comes down to we need to come back and we need to change education, particularly for our younger kids. I mean, from the very get go where they're being taught, maybe it's stoicism, but critical thinking and nuance and complexity. We need to be able. I don't feel like education for our young kids has kept up with social media and identity politics which is again i repeat myself the sound bite the you know n- the news flash the whatever and i don't know any other way to do it because we're not gonna we're not gonna back ourselves out of this social media moment this this is our new reality so how do we do this and i love the fact of bringing stoicism back in and maybe stoicism is the answer maybe we teach that maybe that becomes part of a critical thinking course But I feel like we've got the only way to resolve what we're seeing right now is to bake this into our education, where nuance and complexity is once again admired and revered. What are your thoughts
1: around that? I'm not sure that nuance and complexity has been historically appreciated. As a woman, your voice was not appreciated because you're a woman. I think the, we've always been worried, like when the radio came out, it was like, you know, this is a problem, and the newspaper came, the printing press came out, the Pope had a heart attack. I don't think there was nuance and complexity in 1950 for women. The fact that you're a woman would be enough to tell you, sorry, Jen, what are you doing in the smoking room? This is not your room. And I would have been able to mo- uh, frog march you out of there because you're a woman. I don't think it has changed. Mm. Right. I don't think we had nuance back then. <laughs> I mm. think that the, the problem is that we've never really tried to argue for nuance, mm. right? And so we think it's social media. But ask a woman 50 years ago because she opened a bank account. Where was the nuance in that? Where mm. <laughs> there, was, well, there mm. was none. Ask a gay man 50 years ago where the nuance was mm. about, you know, how much he might have loved an individual. Oh, you can't, you can't possibly love a different another mm. man. That's just... Then I would use a swear word, beginning with B, if I was British, right? That's just this, right? right. So I don't think we've ever really focused on nuance. Yeah. I don't think we had necessarily critical thinking, because you must remember, I mean, you and I are roughly the same age in the sense of we were broke. There was a lot of broke learning when we were kids yeah. about what year it was, and right? So I think it's a case of we need to, to value it. I do think that Ancients did a lot more, but this was because their education was different. It was mentoring. So what mm-hmm. I'm doing now is mentoring you and you can mentor me. And so mm-hmm. whenever you had a Victorian classroom, you could have no notes because you're trying to teach the basics to 32 to 52 to 102 children. Historically, like that, you know, you think about Aristotle and Stakes, they took one by one by one by one by one. There was a line of people mentoring. And even like if you take the Islamic faith, you learn the Quran from your teacher. So the way that it's pronounced. And the exact sounds, it's literally corrected mistake by mistake by mistake by one individual. And the idea is that you can trace all your lineage back to the, the Prophet Muhammad. Right? And then you say, peace be upon him, right? You, so everybody learns the same way. So I think it's a case of... Um, Giving parents back their agency, I have seen, particularly in the, the U.S., that agency for parents is being eroded. So parents are like, oh, hang on a minute, why can't I be upset about the way you're teaching my kid? Oh, no, that means you're a Republican supporter. Regardless of whatever it is, you must be Republican support. So, again, lack of nuance, a lot of blunt instruments. Giving parents back agency, which I was particularly happy about, you know, 10, you know under, under Obama, I think parents had more agency. To say that that a teacher cannot teach everything and to value true mentorship. So one of the things that I've done to address this issue is I've decided, okay, I need to offer paid mentorships because Mm -hmm. people don't know these things. And I was like, well, I should make myself available because I can do it. And I think people want to be mentored. I mean, I get emails a lot going, I want want to be mentored by you because you really help me think things through. You make the normal strangers the stranger normal. This is stoicism. like the Masonius Rufus, he taught hepatitis. So most people know hepatitis is a very uh, important stroke philosopher. But he talked about how he made a mistake and that his mentor uh, taught him. And he then teaches his students who make exactly the same mistake. He's like, well, I did exactly the same thing. We don't have a mentor, men- mentee-mentor relationship mm. anymore. I think we've lost that. But even in like the um, mechanics, plumbers, we used to have that. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's been nuance. I mean, I'm sorry to like maybe upset your argument, but I just don't think there was nuance there. Yeah. I just think it's different. Instead of being before, because the main thing was, oh, I'm a man, you're a woman, that and that was the key thing at that point, or I was white and you weren't, and that was key. Now it's like you're Republican or you're Democrat or or you have this viewpoint. We just because in fact we have progressed on some in some aspects, we now have to find a sort of more political leanings. So it's not necessarily because you are a certain colour or a certain... You know, it's because you don't align with whoever whoever's progressive. Right? So we've always had this. you know, In Northern Ireland, we've terrible, uh, had Protestant and Catholic. We're always looking for the differences to divide rather than differences that we can celebrate and enjoy. Yeah. And I don't think the universe has been there. It needs to be there, but it's, I don't think it's been there for a long, long time.
0: I love what I you just said. I love what you just said. We're always looking for the differences to, to divide versus the differences to celebrate. And I feel like that's where I enter in the conversation. I mean, if I'm not to give myself a pat on the back at all, but having grew up overseas and seeing people who are so, I mean, it was shockingly different, you know, and, in, in, namely in Asian countries and then like having to sit with that and go, that's really freaking cool. You know, exactly. and perhaps, perhaps I had the luxury because I had nothing. I mean, as um, someone living in, in a country that was predomin- like uh, Burma, Myanmar, you know, I mean, it's not like I could escape and go, I, I'm not comfortable. I want to live like another life. Um, I had to sit with, I was forced to sit with that discomfort and I'm glad of it because it made me, I feel like that much more accepting. So I, I'm trying to think of, like, there's so much here, Kai. I think we're going to have to do this more than once. But I'm trying to think, like, of a final question for you. I I agree with you that there wasn't any nuance. You, I I love, by the way, being wrong. I I love being wrong. I love learning new things. So you're right. There was no nuance as a woman or as a gay person, you know, years ago or as a trans person. How do we... If there wasn't it there in the first place, do we have a blueprint for the future or are we, and is what you're suggesting, an entirely new blueprint for how we educate, how we have these conversations? And if so, how do we implement? I mean, there's so much bureaucracy. Implementing something new is so difficult. So, again, Mm. I repeat myself, is there something there that we can go back to and say, hey, let's bring this back again? Or do we have to say, let's, like, completely crash what we're doing now. Here's a new blueprint.
1: Yeah, both. Okay. There are things that we need to bring. You know, it's the stakes are very keen that it's not destroy everything that's come before you. And it's not. Uh, think that everything you know you know something more than somebody else just because you happen to be born like in the 21st century a lot of people go oh we're the most advanced we've ever been i'm like are we by what by what definition do you want to use like we've lost our sense of wonder i mean for example mm. uh, we live our life according to a clock they used to say in medieval britain uh, how long does it take to do that it takes the time to milk the cows Right, So it's going to take you as long as it would to milk the cows. Yes, all about that. Oh, it takes me the time to, uh, it's, it's the same time as it takes me to take a piss. He literally said that. <laughs> because they had no concept of a clock, right? Right, <laughs> right. No clock. Sometimes they right. Had a, you know, they'd have a sundial, right? And it depends right, on the right. season in the UK. Like, it doesn't have to. You know, in the summer, it's longer the day. Right. So. We are, in some ways, enslaved to the idea of a clock, which is very random. Like, you and I are having an hour of conversation, for example. Right. We to, if we need to wrap up, because of the idea of that, it takes the time. Every podcast takes an hour. So this is just a good example, because you've just seen yourself do it. Now, I don't necessarily think we're more advanced by going, let me structure my day according to a particular hour. When human creativity, human ingenuity, and human connection is built on something that goes way behind a particular 60-minute time period right. so i think there are times where we go actually i think it is beautiful to say it takes the same amount of time as it does to milk the cows what is why is that important because they never wished for something beyond that oh i wish it took me an hour instead of one hour and a half to be like what do you mean like, the cows take this long <laughs> like it just takes the time it takes to milk them so they didn't have this concept of like i should be more productive they're like but you milk the cows right and then after you milk the cows you do that and how long does that take well, it takes the long time it takes to, to make me <laughs> just, that's how long it takes. So we've kind of enslaved ourselves to this really sort of superficial reality. of going, what is it, the richness of the human experience, the richness, mm. richness of this conversation, how long does this conversation take mm. for a medieval period person? There would be however long that takes. Right. And you'd obviously have different people because you'd have people who didn't talk much and that would be, oh, it takes the same time as John, you know, John conversation we might think five minutes. Yeah. And then, oh, I'm going to see the, you know, the, the vicar, and that could take longer, or the priest, you know? So I think that we're not always, just because we are, you know, in 2022, it doesn't mean that every idea we have is more advanced or better. So I, do, I am concerned when we think that, because I don't always think that we are as developed. For the reason that I just said, we didn't have nuance in 1980, why we just trick ourselves to thinking that we did. Mm. At the same time, we trick ourselves to thinking that everything that we do is somehow better. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I need to work really hard eight hours a day just because someone gave me a piece of paper that says you work eight hours rather than working, say, nine one day and seven the next because that's more, you know, with their natural rhythm of how they do things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know know as a philosopher you never give a straight straight answer. But uh, the one tool that I would like to see more of, because that's more what you're asking me, is the Socratic dialogue, Mm. what we're doing right now. We're, having, we're both trying to seek the truth and we're having a discussion about where we think that truth might lie. So mm-hmm. You're saying, what about that? I'm going, well, maybe that. And then I might say something and go, well, actually, I don't agree with that. And we come to a conclusion, go, it seems that the answer would be this. And I don't think that education now in the contemporary sense does encourage that. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's not the mentee mentor. You think Henry VIII was writing to Erasmus, for example, because it's like, as a mentor. But you think of like, uh, how we transfer knowledge literally from one person to another person. You can't do that in a, in a, in a Victorian classroom setting. But I don't think it's just the education sector. I think education is a lived thing and it's consistent. Like you've, educa- you know, you've educated me through the podcast and things. Jonathan educates me on stuff. And so I think that if we can just, again, check our language and what do we mean by that? Do we mean an institutionalized setting or do we mean like learning? So I think if we give children the opportunity to learn in every context that is, that, that is appropriate, then I think we'll be better off. And we can discuss as you know, parents discussing, not letting their children be, oh, my, up, my child's upset, I've done something wrong. No, discuss it with them. Maybe you have done something wrong and maybe they're just being five. <laughs> so it's kind of like, again, finding the nuance, finding the context. But that's, that's one relation at a time, Jen. That's one conversation at a time. I don't think you can institutionalise the conversation we've had today. No, but that's, I think that's where education begins and ends for most of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you hit on
0: is crucial. I, I, I think it is one edu one conversation at a time and we can do that. Here's the thing. Like we, 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 we say, oh, it's too complex. We can't, but you know, one person <laughs> can talk to another
1: person. That's, that's what it needs. Need. So don't say to me that doesn't change the world it does though because the only only thing that you can do is change your world mm-hmm. you, we mm-hmm. we not again it's language we say i'm going to change the world you can't do that mm-hmm. even elon musk with all his power and money cannot change the lives of 8 billion people mm-hmm. He can't touch everybody some people, some people have never heard of it most people haven't of it. so when you change your world that's what you mean when we say change the world because there's not much you can do Okay, I guess you could drop a nuclear bomb and change the world in that sense. But like most people, we can only change right. our world. Right. So they're like, well, you know, people say, well, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable because then I'm restricted. Well, well, it's just reality, right? You're restricted. I can only have a conversation with you, Jen. I can't have a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. else right now because it wouldn't be appropriate. So I'm comfortable. I'm like, I'm going to enjoy my conversation with Jen. I'm going to build a relationship with Jen so we can have another conversation and continue to grow that's what I can do right now. I can't be, let's say, um, cleaning the streets of rubbish or helping a child in a park. I, I can't be doing that because I'm doing this. So I think it's, we, we, again, we lie to ourselves about what we think we can do rather than saying, in this moment, I can have one conversation with you. And people are like, well, okay, well, does it have to be on a podcast? No, you can have a conversation with your father, with your brother, with whoever. Right. And we do, things do change one conversation at a time. If we, th- if we think back to our own lives of when, particularly when you were younger and you thought that you knew everything, and then your parents showed you that maybe that wasn't true, or the conversation you have with, you know, your person who becomes your husband and wife, that had been one conversation. So it's interesting that we say we can't do it, yet yeah, we have a husband and wife or wife, and we're like, well, I do know that he's really annoying when he does this, <laughs> but he's not the of just that one mistake he consistently makes or the snoring. We, we give that nuance, we give that time for that relationship. We can't give that amount of time to every relationship, but giving some time to the ones that are important, I think that's the only way we can change things. I think anything else is wishful thinking. This doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do what you suggested, but we can do that right now.
0: You know what's so funny is I didn't really even recognize this until this conversation. So I've got a book coming out. I wasn't even meaning to plug this, but... In this book, my co-author is a black man. You know, I'm a white woman. And he says, he says, Wink says, in this conversation, we can't speak to whatever, a gazillion other people, but we can speak to each other. And, you know, I mean, I, that was nice, whatever. I kind of heard it. You know, we kept writing. But our the author of our foreword, Eric Smith, picked up on that and he goes, this is what you can do every single day. That makes exactly. a difference. And it's funny because even, even then I was reading, this was last week, I was reading Eric's words and, and, and they rung true to me. It wasn't like, oh, you know, whatever. It wasn't pithy. <laughs> but I now I'm actually <laughs> hearing you and I'm like, that's exactly right. Like, that's all we, can, and that's all we
1: can do. That's all we can do. That's
0: all we can do. I
1: Somebody said to me last week, but that means I have no agency. I said that means you have every agency. Mm, Every decision you make, every thought you have, every attitude you decide to have, that's what makes a difference. And if you believe otherwise you're just lying to yourself. Like talking to me in a certain time because you're having a bad attitude changes our relationship temporarily and potentially permanently, right? (laughs) If you do it often enough. And it's like to to wish anything else actually breaks our agency because we can't do it. This is why in, in being better, so the book that I wrote with Larry and I it's Girls, which is about and making the world a better place, we say in Stoism it's true, you can't put yourself in other people's shoes because your feet don't fit their shoes. Because all you're doing is imagining what Jen might think or might feel as an American workman, let's say. It won't just be that identity, there might be various of them. Mm-hmm. But I can't be you. I shouldn't pretend to. So, the best thing I can do is challenge you about what you think by saying, for example, are you sure you had nuance? Try it 20 years ago, try it 40 years ago? And you're, wait a minute, I've just realized that that's not true. So, I've undone a belief and you're going to, you know, broken a belief, which you're then going to have to fill up with whatever you think is reasonable. But to suggest that somehow I can do be much more than I am is often too many times, and at least in my opinion, use an excuse not to do anything. Mm hmm. Right? Mm mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we have to be like, activists, because people say, because I work on the climate breakdown issue. for so Do we have to be activists? I'm like, well, if you're not a particularly loud person, probably not. <laughs> you're probably quite quiet. You could, you can change the environment by choosing not to put meat that is commercially produced in your mouth, right? right. That makes right. a difference. You right. could, you could choose to, you know, have conversations with your kids about the environment and why it's important, but not demonize people who haven't quite got, got there, right? Haven't quite got, understood mm-hmm. some of the message. But to explain to them where you're coming from, try to understand where they're coming from. But that's what we can do. I know self-help industry tries to tell us that we can do something different. But the reason, what in my opinion, again, why this happens is because when you fail, you just have to buy my next book. <laughs> you didn't quite get it. Buy the next one. <laughs> Come on, like that's why I think that we have this sort of. You can like plan five years in advance. Well, mm. Why would you want to do that? You can have an idea about what you might want to achieve, mm. but. Planning five years in advance, and when you fail, buy my next book. It's a very convenient business plan, isn't it? Mm, yeah. All
0: right, we have got... The, this was just scratching the surface, because I really do see this as mentoring for me, and I appreciate you being so open with taking my my questions. I mean, there's so much about stoicism that I'm unfamiliar with, but I know that I like. Like, it gels with me, right? But I'm not... I, I don't, the nuance of it is beyond me. So, Kai, I hope that we
1: continue this. Certainly. I certainly hope so. I look forward to it. I hope we can get Jonathan Church on there as well, because then we can go really into some of the nitty gritty of uh, the more complexities and nuances that he would be better to, to. I, in my opinion, ex- explain in some ways. But I think I'm hoping that your audience appreciated that it's in thinking through what we believe to be true and then evaluating it, looking at the impression and going, what is it that I'm really thinking? What does that mean? I think that's powerful. And that's something that we can practice in everyday life. In everyday life. So we don't have an institutional response, but we don't need one. Yeah. We just need enough teachers to know what it's like to to think critically and pass that on to their, their students. And the one last thing I will say is that one of the things that I always got frustrated is that people will say things like, oh, I didn't feel encouraged because my, the teacher didn't look like me. Right. Well, my answer is somebody doesn't have to look like you to help you. They have to believe in you regardless of what you look like. Mm. That's to me the powerful thing, because you know if you speak to a mouse teacher, he's got a beard. How many kids have beards, for example? So he's not likely to look look at you look like you in that aspect. Why just why zoom in into the one you know the, the amount of in, in his skin or he's or he's what he has between his legs. I think the key thing as a as a teacher is a desire to help your student, regardless of of what they look like, and precisely because you value their desire to learn, to grow, and to be a reasonable citizen. If we can do that, I think that things can change. As that is an individual by individual basis. Oh
0: my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. And, and that's so that's so true. It's not about what they look like. It's whether or not you. It's whether or not you give a shit.
1: Do you care enough? Yeah. Yeah, Do you you care care enough enough? about the student in front of you? Yeah. Does the student also care enough about them being there? Because you can care. If they don't care, there's not going to be much rapport. But yeah, it's nothing to do, for example, you know, and you think about it. If I teach, no one in the classroom if their children have bits. I've never met a child who's got a beard to this day. None of them are my height. And I'm quite sure, but none of them are my height. So that's another difference. Yeah. None of them are boarding, thank God. So that's that's another difference. (laughs) None of them were born in the year that I was born, so that's another difference. You see, when we when we break it down, it's the other thing that I like to point out it's like, you know, when people say, oh, I know what it's like to be 21. Yes, you know what it's like to be 21 in 1978. Do you know how relevant that is right now? Right. <laughs> right. It's not relevant. You can learn something, because you can say as a man, you, know, you can definitely say as a man, you know, when you're in your 20s, you know, you, you do feel it more from the hormones, right? And that is across the board. But to say, I know what it's like at a 21-year-old, no, you don't, because... The interest rates were different. The politicians were different. Uh,
0: My son reminds me of that all the time. Yeah. I'm like, I know what it's like to be 18. He's like, really, mom? Really? And I'm like, okay, maybe not. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, you know some aspects Again, it's, it's like, which aspects do you know, right, so? right, things like the desire to learn to grow mm. to think that you know more than you do because we, we can all say that, that again this is why the socratic dialogue because if we all came together we'd all nod Right, anybody over the age of about 25 would all nod and go yeah that's exactly what happens and we have that universal experience but that doesn't mean that we understand exactly what it's like to be 18 in 2022 Right, we, we just don't so that's something that we, we need to think about like okay where can I draw the line? Where does my talking end and my listening start? Mm, mm-hmm. I think that, that's also something we can do to improve the situation.
0: Where does my talking end and my listening start? That's, yeah, and that's, that's key right there too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes to see what each of us is reading. Different news with different views. You can find us at foldmydrinkpodcast.com, all major podcast platforms, and on YouTube. Or subscribe on Substack at truthinbetween.substack.com so you never miss an issue. If you want to join our Discord community, drop us a line. And until next week, may your conversations be constructive and your divisions diminished. Cheers.